0: Welcome back to the channel, folks. I am so thrilled that you've joined me on this next episode of WCKS. We're specifically going to be talking about progressive Christianity. And I also want to pray for you all right now um, that the Lord would bless you and your family, especially in light of what's going on in the world with the return of the variant and the sickness is going up. There are several folks, you know, that I am personally aware of, friends of mine that are in the hospital, um, family members of those friends that are in the hospital on ventilators. Um, One recently passed away. Um, I just got news of another young man, 40s, that um, is now in ICU, not for COVID, but is on a ventilator. Um, And then the terrorist stuff that's going on uh, the Christians that are being persecuted in those places I mean there is so much going on and I want to just quickly pray and then we'll get into the podcast father I just ask that you would pour out your grace and mercy upon us Lord as we humble ourselves before you and cry out to you in dependence and submission I pray that you would bless us and heal us and protect us especially those in the Middle East that are going through significant trial with the Taliban and all that. I pray you allow them to get out and get away and not be uh, hurt. But I also know your will be done, Lord, and I pray that your will be done and that you be glorified in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I am your host, Michael Russell. You have tuned in to WCKS, where we cannot keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are continuing on in our series on progressive Christianity. This is part three. Uh, There will likely be two more parts to this series. And I pray you'd stay with me and stay through to the end of this. Now, we have been following along with an article from Alyssa childers, uh, who has written a a book called, um, another gospel. I have purchased that book and I am in the process of reading it and I am blessed so far by it. Uh, I will have a link in the description. So if you would like to look into that and pick it up yourself, I got a Kindle version. It was like $7.99. Um, But the article that we're predicating this series off of was called Five Signs That Your Church May Be Headed Towards Progressive Christianity. So part of my endeavor for this podcast series has been to verify as best I can, do my due diligence to check out her suggestive um, positions that progressive Christians are holding So I can verify that she's representing them properly, but also to see if I can't come across progressive Christians that are holding that view to hear from their own mouths or their own writings, if you would, if they indeed believe and and hold to those particular views. So the quote that she quotes from is a gentleman. Uh, For this episode today, we're going to be looking at sign number three, which is Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. That's the third sign of her article that suggests that your church, if they're holding to this idea, may be headed towards or already in the place of progressive Christianity. And she quotes from a gentleman named John Pavlovitz. Again, I'll have the link to that article or that um, website uh, in the descriptions below, description below. And I'm quoting from the actual website, his website or his blog post. And it says, quote, there are no sacred cows, only the relentless sacred search for truth. Tradition, dogma, and doctrine are all fair game because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. And as such, are equally vulnerable to the prejudices, fears, and biases of those it touched, end quote. Hmm. Now, again, that was an exact quote, or that was a quote from the exact article, not just referenced article, um, but that was the article that Mr. Pavlovitz had written. Now, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant, first of all, before I dig into this a little bit more deeply and say, one of the things I've found as I've consistently, as I've researched this, is consistently one of the common threads of those that are embracing a progressive Christian view is hypocrisy in the evangelical church or uh, fundamental church um the rigidity of being open to those of different perspectives or faiths or whatever and what i mean by that is unwelcoming i guess is a simpler way to put it so if you are a sinner in a way that's grievous in the eyes of said evangelical church or fundamental church you are shunned and that's kind of the kind of the overtone and I understand let's be clear I understand that the human heart is so fouled so so sinful and we become easily victims and you know if you have any different opinion of me then I'm a victim and you're the the assaultant the the one perpetrating an assault against me and I'm not talking about that Believe me, I I recognize that sensitivity. We live in a time where everyone's hypersensitive and I get that. But what I am talking about is the legitimate hypocrisy that does happen. Let's be clear. we're, We're failed sinners, even though we're saved by grace. We continue to sin and we continue to stumble and we need to be very sensitive and aware of the fact that we ourselves are weak and sinful. So when we come off very condescending or judgmental to others, it is not reflecting a Christ-like servant attitude. It's coming off as a pharisaical, legalistic, judgmental attitude. And I can honestly say that I'm guilty of that at times in my life, in my Christian walk, and certainly I've seen it in you know, my observations, my own personal observations among other church leaders, whether it be you know, on some sort of social media or actually in person in the churches that I visited or was a part of. So as Christians, we need to emulate Christ in all that we do. The world is watching. Matter of fact, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, jesus says let your light shine before men so that they'll see your good deeds and give glory to god so it's not any kind of self you know building or aggrandizement you know where i look at me look at how good i am no our lives should reflect christ so that the people that see us can be directed to christ how am i different why am i different why do I have joy in my life? Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ because we're here to simply be ambassadors for christ we're not we're not here to build our own self up and and become a mega speaker Christian. That's not our motive. That should not be our motive. And flip side, our motive should be to go into all nations and make disciples of all men, not only of particular races or. Um, um social classes or um, you know whatever strata that you want to talk about that isn't you know it's not up to us to pick and choose where we want to go we should be open and willing to share the good news of jesus christ to anyone and everyone that we come in contact with they may not receive it they may reject us but we don't have the right to judge who should and should not hear this good news. That's God's job. Our job is to throw the seed or water the seed that's been thrown and trust the Lord through prayer, by the way, through prayer, not on our own effort, through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit and trust that God will cause the increase. So with that, I will get off my little soapbox, and we'll get in more specifically to the um, topic that we're talking about here. And as often as I've harped on this channel, we, the true believers are the ones that are called to bring this message. So again, one of the consistent overtones that I've heard as I've studied on this topic of progressive Christianity is a general, and I'll say it that way, a general disinterest or unwillingness to carry the gospel message to the marginalized to the poor to the uh, homeless to the sick to the widow the orphan um, then we can go into to those that hold to a unusual sexual orientation or um, spiritual approach and the general opinion oftentimes of evangelical Christians is, yeah, you guys aren't even going out to those places or those people. You're not even reaching out to them. You're not even giving them an opportunity to hear the good news. We are, the progressive would say, we are, you're not. But as we get deeper into this, you'll, you'll find what we are means in context of this whole movement known as progressive Christianity. So we have been entrusted with a responsibility. We can look at either the great commission or where I'm going to take us is in second Corinthians chapter five, where Paul writes to the Corinthian church, but to all of us, verse 16 from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ, according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old oldest passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. What a passage folks, what a passage we, the believers have been entrusted with taking the message of hope out to the lost and dying in this world. God doesn't need us but God has so designed it that we are ambassadors, representing Christ while Christ is in heaven tarrying, making intercessory for us and so on. And we have been entrusted. Remember the great commission in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore go into all nations, making disciples of all men, teaching them all that I have commanded you to obey. And surely I will be with you till the end of the age. So that is our charter, that is our commission, our mission. Now we do that with all the giftedness that God has given us, with all the uh, wherewithal, money, time, all of that, that God has given us. And we do that with the hope of going into the harvest field and the God of the harvest will bless us with bringing in a harvest Two christ to god we bring the harvest into god not to us okay so let's get back into um, the passage based on the episode or the or the statement in the article based on the episode that we're focusing in on here Um, we don't have like i said we don't have the right to simply pick and choose who should we share the gospel with or or when we look at somebody or we know somebody as a friend or an associate, and we say, they're never going to come to Jesus, no matter what I tell them, that's not our right. We have no right to tell them that or uh, to make that decision. That's a judgment that actually resides in the hands of God, not us. So we should go to everyone. Now, if they reject us, then we can go ahead and dust the dust from our feet and move on. Paul, or, uh Jesus gives us an example of that in uh, his parable of the Good Samaritan. When, when someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the guy maybe makes the mistake, but God and his sovereignty and providence causes it to happen. Asks, who's my neighbor? And if you know the story, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Where some gentleman is coming down the road and gets beat up and mugged and, you know, ripped off and left for dead. And then a priest comes by and he actually avoids the guy, goes to the other side of the street and walks around him. Then a Levite, which is the priestly tribe, he does the same. He avoids the man on the side of the road. But then a Samaritan, those that the Jews hated, they were half breeds, half Jew, half Gentile. Well, he comes along and sees this man in need and immediately goes over and takes care of him, immediately administers first aid, but eventually takes him into a place to take care of him and nurse him to health, gives him money and promises to come back and continue to support and care for the guy until he's on his feet. This is discipleship, really. This is not only bringing someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, giving them life, which is all by the power of God, but then caring for them and walking with them over time to teach them all the things that Christ has commanded so that they too would be strengthened and built up so that they too can take that message of good news and great hope out to the lost and dying. Okay. So with those accusations, we're a bunch of hypocrites and we, we don't love, we don't love. We remind ourselves of the verse out of, or the, paragraph out of the Pavlovitz article and he states again quote there are no sacred cows only the relentless and sacred search for truth tradition dogma and doctrine are all fair game because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity and as such are all equally vulnerable to the prejudices fears and biases of those it touched To make a statement like this suggests that you could read the Bible, and I'm gonna get into it a little bit about what tradition and dogma really represent, but let's say doctrine, and read it and go, yeah, I don't really think that's what that means. Well, now we are in a slippery slope where we can decide what scripture means according to what we believe it means, and that's where it becomes a little bit more dangerous. But let's remind ourselves what the Reformation was all about. And I'm gonna refer back again to the Dave Jenkins article, which again is, is linked below. The article is called, What Every Christian Should Know About the Protestant Reformation. And I'll pick up there, quote, the distinguishing marks of the Protestant Reformation is the five slogans known as the solas. Sola scripture, scripture alone, sola Christus, Christ alone, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, and sola de sola deo gloria, the glory of God alone. The central issue of the Reformation was the authority of the Lord and his word. When the Reformers proclaimed Scripture alone, they expressed a commitment to the authority of Scripture as the reliable, sufficient. And trustworthy word of God. Jenkins goes on to note, quote, "The church is always in need of reformation around the word of God. Even the New Testament Bible readers discover Jesus rebuking Peter, or Paul correcting the Corinthians in First Corinthians. Since we are, as Martin Luther said, at the same time both saint and sinner." and the church is full of people, the church is always in need of reformation around the word of God. So this kind of echoes what uh, Mr. Pavlovitz is saying, since it passed through the hands of people, where the problem is, is what exactly is he trying to get at? The reformers said, because people are flawed, we always need to go back and. Take what they're teaching now and bounce it up against scripture because scripture is the authority. However, when Pavlovitz says tradition, dogma, and doctrine are all fair game, let's identify what those are. Tradition, I think, is pretty clear. Tradition is tradition. What we've done, we've always done it that way. Okay, now, when you look at the first church, first century church, and you contrast that, for example, with the Jewish religion and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin who were kind of coming up with extra biblical or extra scriptural things to do, the the Pharisees and the, the leaders often did this where scripture would say, go from point A to point B. And they would say, well, you gotta also consider point C. And they would add a little something, something to it. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and Sadducees and and scribes and teachers of the law throughout his ministry. And often would say, you uphold the traditions of men over scripture. Okay, but scripture was still the authority. And that's where I want you to keep focus here. So when we talk about tradition, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Doctor, or Dogma is something that maybe as um, maybe a Protestant Christian, a Protestant, you don't hear that word that often. Whereas in the Roman Catholic Church, that is a common word. And what it means is scripture and tradition or the church councils or uh, the decrees from the Pope or from the Vatican. So dogma is kind of the package deal. Tradition may be looked at as just the traditions. Doctrine may be looked at as scripture. Dogma is kind of a combination of the two. As I'm defining it here, going back to the Reformation comments from Jenkins, I'll continue and says, the central issue of the Reformation was the authority of the Lord and his word. okay. When the reformers proclaimed scripture alone, they expressed a commitment to the authority of scripture as the reliable, sufficient, and trustworthy word of God. He goes on and says, at stake in the reformation was the central issue of who is authoritative. The Pope, the church's traditions or church councils, personal feelings or scripture alone. Rome claimed the church's authority lay with scripture and tradition and at the same level. So this made scripture and the Pope at the same level as scripture and church councils. Okay. The Protestant Reformation sought to bring change to these convictions by placing authority with the word of God alone. A commitment of scripture alone leads to a rediscovery of the doctrines of grace because any return to scripture leads to the teaching of God's sovereignty and his saving grace. And I'll close the quote there. That is the key here. And I'm going to bring us to a couple passages in the Old Testament um, where this principle is applied. And yet we see two different responses, okay? So again, Pavlovitz's article says, there are no sacred cows, only the relentless sacred search for truth. Now we could stop there and probably pick at that a little bit. The focus seems to be on truth, what's truth? And then the question of how do we determine what truth is? And then we see, as we talked in last episode, that it becomes, or two episodes ago, it becomes relative if, if we're not careful, okay? As I warned us already in the beginning, or I ranted in the beginning of this podcast, the church, the Protestant evangelical church, is guilty of hypocrisy and judgmental condescension, In a generally speaking way, and maybe you individually, we need to regularly bring ourselves back to the word of God, using it as a mirror to look at ourselves and see, are we lining up? Not as a works righteousness, not as a works for salvation approach, but I'm speaking to those that are born again, those that the spirit of God is indwelling supernaturally. They believe in the deity of Christ and the the cross work of Christ that he died for our sins, paid the debt fully and rose from the dead to prove it. And I believe that gospel message of hope and the spirit of God indwells me. And I feel his presence in power. That's what scripture tells us. You will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And there's a change in me now. There's conviction. And I feel guilty when I make a mistake and I sin and I repent to God and I make Uh, You know, I repent to those I've offended. I apologize, confess my sin to them, ask for forgiveness. Okay, there's a change in our heart. Now, we'll read in 2 Kings 22, starting in verse 8. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Saphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law, in the house of the Lord. Now, I'll I'll set the stage a little here. Joash was the new king. He actually was made king when he was eight years old. 18 years into his reign, he's now roughly 26 years old, he realizes that the temple has not been taken care of. Well, so he gives direction to get the money out of the treasury of the temple and divide that among the workers so that they could rebuild the temple. Now, this has happened a few times in the old testament where disrepair and and lack of maintenance was going on and the leader had to kind of kick them in the pants to do their job however it appears as though from the reading of this section of scripture they were not following the law or the or the reading god's word the scriptures so while they're clearing out the treasury to do what they were told to do and give that money to the workers so that they can work on the temple, they find the book of the law. So the high priest gives it to Saphan the secretary, to take to the king. And that's where we're picking up. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphan, and he read it, verse 9, this is uh, 2 Kings 22, 9. And Saphan the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants, Have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hands of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Saphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the high priest, has given me a book. And Saphan read it before the king. Now listen to the response from the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Iakim, the son of Saphan, and Arkbar, the son of Micaiah, Micaiah, and Saphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So clearly, Joash is moved. He hears the word of God and reforms (laughs) this is kind of in line with Martin Luther's comments and during the Reformation, which is the 15 mid 1500s that we always have to be reforming, but around the word of God. And then we surrender and submit to what the word of God says. Okay. Not tradition, not dogma, which is word of God and tradition, but doctrine, what the scriptures say. Okay. Now, we can go into another passage in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles, and we'll read chapter uh, 36, we'll pick up in verse 13, uh, 15, and the passage reads, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to, him, to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing, At the prophets, until the wrath of God rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Pretty powerful. A distinction between the response from Joash, where he tears his clothes and immediately directs the priest to go to God and beg him for repentance, you know, for him, his people, and all of Judah. Whereas Here in second Chronicles, the response is, I don't want to hear your message. I don't want to hear from you, God. And they scoffed at the prophets until the wrath of God rose against the people until there was no remedy. What a powerful passage. Pray to God that we don't get there to where there is no remedy. For those of us who know Jesus as Lord and savior, we need to hear and understand the gospel. Repent and receive salvation. That is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's a Greek word that means good news. Well, if you don't understand the bad news, then where, where is the good news found? Remember, the gospel is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So in fact, we're, we seemingly are hopeless. So what is this good news? But before we get into that, I want to keep on track of searching the scriptures, searching the scriptures. Remember, Pavlovitz is suggesting that all of that is open game. You know, as we search for truth, we might find something in the doctrines that we don't agree with. So they're fair game. They can be modified. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is on a missionary journey and he's in Thessalonia and they run him out of town. There are, the church has been planted and there are believers, but the Jews in that area begin to finally riot and they're ready to stone Paul to death and and kill him and shut him up. And they send Paul and Silas out of town off to the next town, which is called Berea. And we pick up there in Acts 17, starting in verse 10. Says, then the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. This was Paul's practice. Let's start there. Verse 11, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what was their form of truth. What was their litmus test? The scriptures. So they're taking what was being preached, which was revolutionary, this gospel that the Messiah has come in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, God, the son, only to pay the debt of sin by dying on a cross, substitutionary sacrifice. And they were testing that to the scriptures. Well, the scriptures they had were the Old Testament. And in the Greek form, it was the Septuagint, which was the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. It goes on and says, verse 12, many of them believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being proclaimed by Paul and Berea, also they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowd so they came and started causing division and and strife for paul and he eventually moves on out of berea okay but the point i'm getting at is they would went, went back to scripture and they tested it with scripture so we saw as joash hears the scriptures he tears his clothes and basically repents and begs god to show mercy but then we see in the chronicles passage that There are other times where they hear the word and they don't want nothing to do with it. So they shut the messengers down and all and God's wrath is poured out on them. And then we see here in Acts, once again, New Testament, that they're going back to scripture to test what's being told them to scripture because they're holding on to scripture, scriptures, the authority. So back to Pavlovitz's comments, we believe, I want you to hear this. This is now another segment of his article. We believe that social justice is the heart of the gospel. And I'll stop right there. There's more to this little paragraph that I wanna read, but this will be for our next episode. That will take us to actually the fourth, or the fifth sign of Miss Childer's article, bypassing the fourth, but we want to jump to the fifth since this is really apropos for this conversation, the gospel. And he posits the idea that at the heart of the gospel is social justice, and we can go off, but time won't permit us to on this episode about what social justice means. Um, today in our culture as well as maybe just in a general definition of what it means so i will stop there for this week but i want to thank you Uh, thank you thank you thank you for joining me for this episode i do want to invite you back definitely i love this fellowship i want to hear from you whether it's in the comment opportunities whether it's on the podcasting platforms or now The podcast is going to be video recorded and posted on YouTube as well. So comments at YouTube um, or Facebook, We Can't Keep Silent, or Instagram, We Can't Keep Silent, or even Twitter, W underscore C underscore K underscore S. Any of those platforms, you could comment to me or reach out to me via message, messenger, or send me an email. We can't keep silent at gmail.com. And I would love to carry on with you and have a dialogue. I want to encourage you all to continue to pray, and I will be praying for all of you for your health, for the church's health, um, for leadership in the church, for uh, reformation, to get back to what Scripture teaches, get back on mission, utilizing the giftedness that each of us have been given. To bring glory to God and to extend the message. We are ambassadors for Christ. We need to go into the harvest field that is ripe for harvest, praying to the God of the harvest to send in workers, that God would honor that and bring in a bounty. It's all God, but we need to be praying for that and that our minds would be set on the things of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for sticking around. I look forward to having you back next week as we continue to dig into this passage on progressive Christianity. And I want you to pray for those that are wrapped up in this that they would have their eyes opened by the Spirit to see the error of their ways and get back into a God-fearing, Bible-teaching church. I look forward to having you back. And until next time, last